Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul declared, quote, For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. The Christian life is a consistent battle in living a holy and upright and pleasing life to Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul said that sin is, quote, evil. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we ought to be growing to live like Jesus and for Jesus more and more all the days of our life. Let's open our Bible now to Romans chapter 7 that we might gain a better perspective of the battle with sin in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Saturday morning here in Texas and uh, just loving on Jesus. Hopefully y'all are loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know him, growing to love him, growing to obey him, right? Growing to fellowship with others um, around Jesus. We, uh, we had our normal Bible study uh, here on Thursday night, but it was a special Bible study for the seniors and we had... Uh, we had asked some other people to come, um, and man, it was, I was just so humbled by, uh, I was very, very humbled just to see the body of Christ and how, how, how effective we can be as a body in ministry when we work together and when, you know, the different gifts and capabilities um, that are present are are just are working together to one end. Um, and I was, again, I was moved by it. Um, and so that there was just ministry, um, you know, for the seniors, particularly as they, as you know, as they head out to wherever they're going, you know, to college or the different places they're going. Um, and it was just such a blessing. And so again, I just want to thank everyone. Um, again, thank you, Rap and, and Becky and, and Randy, um, Susie, Thank you, Mrs. Miller. Thank you, uh, Bishop Atwood. Uh, it was just, uh, it was just a blessed time. It, it really was. So, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, uh, Lord willing, today we'll finish Romans seven. Um, the goal is to do verses fourteen to twenty-five. So, just this is a remarkable piece of scripture here that we're going to be talking about. Um, these verses, Romans seven. 14 to 25 are well-known verses there 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 are there are volumes written on these verses okay and uh you know and there's there are there are two specific ideas that scholars believe paul is discussing here now only one of them is true okay and i'm certainly going to tell you which one i believe is true but we'll discuss the two prevailing thoughts and the one that i believe is true and why it's true and so father we do thank you for your word we thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives, Father. We thank you for this book of Romans. We thank you, Father, that we have just our Bible, and we thank you, Lord, for the incredible, overwhelming insights into you and who you are, Father, and Jesus and who you are, and Holy Spirit and who you are. We just thank you for the, the insights into our triune God and, and all that's been done for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, that are found in this book. Uh, and we thank you for the exhortation on, on how we're to live in light of it. So thank you, Father. As always, Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus. 
our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you again. We always thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect righteous life on our behalf that we could never live, for dying a torturous death on our behalf and in our place that we should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today and we, we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that understand. We praise and worship you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay. Romans 7, 14 to 25. We know that the law is spiritual. Paul speaking now. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, so pretty much anyone here, right, Scott? Everyone that has really done substantial Bible study, people who have really read their Bible, you know, have come across these verses. And all of us can recognize in these verses, all of us who are, are, are genuine and true Christians and are really making an effort to live for Jesus Christ, can recognize this struggle that Paul is speaking about here. This struggle as a believer to desire to walk holy, to desire to walk upright, to live an increasingly holy and righteous and Christ-like life, being more like Jesus and, and everything, right, May? Um, but just, you know, just seemingly consistently falling short of that. Not seemingly, we, we do consistently fall short of that. And there ought to be a grief there. As Christians, one of the signs that we really are Christians, that Jesus is living in us, is that we are bothered at, you know, at a certain level. And the, and the closer you get to Christ, the more bothered you'll be. And we'll be bothered in different manner, in different ways by our sin and by our failures. Um, you know, we won't, we won't desire to live in habitual sin. We'll be convicted over our sin. Now, it doesn't mean we won't have still some sinful sinful patterns in our life. It doesn't mean that, that we're certainly perfect in this life. But what it means is that there's a desire to not walk 
in consistent habitual sin. There's a desire to walk in purity and holiness with Jesus, right? And, and we can see here a struggle that Paul is having that as he tries to do this and he wants to walk with Jesus properly, appropriately in a way that's pleasing to him, he can see this, you know, this, this aspect of him where, you know, he can see this aspect in his life where he's still not doing that perfectly. There are still times where he falls short of that and, it, and it's, it's gut-wrenching to him, right? Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So I told you there were two prevailing interpretations of this passage. Um, the vast majority of scripture, the interpretation is plain and it's unambiguous, okay? Um, we ought to be doing all we can to take the scripture at face value and, and not impose our own view on the scripture. One of the, one of the great problems with the different frameworks, with the different systematics out there, um, you know, what is a theological framework? Say, uh, Arminianism is a theological framework. Provisionism is a, a theological framework. Calvinism is a, is, a, is a theological framework. And there are many. And what that is, is that when we read a scripture, we're, we're consistently not letting the scripture just speak, but we, we impose a framework over that scripture to make the scripture fit the framework. Um, and what we want to do our best to do, and this is not easy, is to allow the scripture to speak for itself. Okay. So the two prevailing views, one of the views, and this is, this is the lesser view. This is the one that, you know, fewer scholars believe a few scholars believe, and it's, you know, it, and the interpretation is not just off the wall. They believe Paul here is referencing a time before he became a Christian. And they'll point out certain verses like verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. When we're in Christ, we're not slaves to sin anymore. Sin is not our master anymore. So because of this verse, and then a few other things he mentions, they believe that he is talking about a time in these 11 verses back before he became a Christian and, and how things were before Christ, okay? Now, the prevailing view of this um, is that, no, Paul is speaking about his current life as a Christian and the struggles that he has as a Christian to live the holy and Christ-like life that he desperately wants to live, that, that he consistently can see that he's falling short of living perfectly pleasing to Jesus Christ, and that, and that is grievesome to him. Now, this is what, what I certainly believe Paul is speaking about, and it, and it is for two reasons, for two main reasons. Number one, and what most scholars would see as the, the, really the biggest reason as to why Paul is speaking about his present circumstance, is he has he has switched he has switched his entire conversation his entire argument to present tense into the first person okay he had been talking you know in in chapter 6 okay 
you know, about, you know, what, what life was like clearly before he had become a Christian. But now he switched. He switched to present tense and he's speaking in the first person. And that is that is that is a very powerful ar- argument that he is talking about present tense. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So you see how he's talking about right now, present tense, this is what's happening. So what is he saying? He's not saying that that nothing that he wants to do, he doesn't do. When he says in verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Paul is so, 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 so straining to live a life that's pleasing to Christ. He desires to live a life of purity and holiness that the fact that he still can see aspects of sin in his life. And again, the more we walk with Jesus, the more the areas of our life that are not in line will be revealed to us. The, the closer we grow to Jesus, Corinne, the more we can see how much we are really not like him, okay? Um, as non-Christians, we really don't see our sin at all. Our sin doesn't bother us at all, okay? Um, we're not even aware of it. We're not worried about it. We're not concerned about it. As new Christians, okay, as Christians that really don't spend much time with Jesus, but we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior, you know, we know that the sin is there, you know, and yes, we know we shouldn't be walking in it, but we're not too concerned with it either. Paul is undoubtedly here, the the most holy man in the world at this time, okay? He's walking with Jesus more intimately than, than, than probably any Christian in history ever has. He wrote half the New Testament, okay? He was used by Christ in ways no one else was, right? And so when he says... I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Okay? So again, there are still things in his life, and he's so bothered by them, he qualifies himself as that. Now again, he undoubtedly does a thousand good things, but that that's still, the fact that he still has this struggle with sin, it, it grieves him. And he says, what I hate, I do. As believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to increasingly hate sin, right, Ian? I mean, there, there ought to be a, a despising of sin in our life. And Chris, that's something we really ought to, we ought to look into our heart and say, you know, and, and it's something for us to repent over, you know. And, and again, there, we can get comfortable indifferent what we see little sins. You know, I've said before that, that I really need to grow in patience, right? Um, I, you know, I, I need to, you know, I need to be a more patient man. Um, and, and yet there, there are times where I'm really not as bothered as I ought to be about my impatience. We don't, we're not condemned as, you know, we turn over to the next chapter, Romans eight, you know, the first verse says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ in Christ Jesus, Romans eight, one. So it's not that we're condemned. But there ought to be a desire to live more, more holy for Christ. We ought to really hate 
the sin in our lives as believers. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So once again, it is good that there is a, a law, that, 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 that our Heavenly Father has given us the scripture and has given us not, not only the Mosaic law, but consistently given us exhortations on how we're to live, on the things we, we are to do and the things we are not to do. The rules the Father has given us in scripture are a good thing. So Paul says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Because again, if there was no law there, if the scripture didn't exhort us to do certain things and to not do certain things, we wouldn't know that they were wrong, okay? But we know the law is good. We know that it's right, right? He said in the previous chapter that the law is holy, righteous, and good, but, but we are not, right? And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Again, because the law is showing me what is the right way to live. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. What does he mean by that? As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And, and as I said, I do believe Paul is speaking of a present struggle here. Um, the other reason I believe he's speaking of a present struggle and, and to me, this is equally important, if not more important. If, as the few scholars maintain, that Paul is speaking here of his life before he became a Christian, then this section of scripture would have no application for the believer. You know, it. we could read it, and every one of us who really reads this can recognize this struggle in our lives, or we should be able to recognize it, but... If Paul is not speaking about a present struggle in his life, if Paul is not having this struggle in his life, if Paul indeed is speaking at a about a time before he even became a Christian, then there is no true genuine application. Then we are actually taking a scripture that wasn't meant for this and we're applying it to our lives when that wasn't its purpose. And so to me, that's also a, a just a, an extremely important point. That, that not only has he moved to present tense, not only is he speaking in first person, but when we read this, we make application of it to, to our lives, okay? Um, and it, in our present tense, first person situation that we're in. Um, and, and again, I think that's, that, that's imperative. That's the reason we have the scripture, okay? Ultimately, we have the scripture so that not only that we can understand it, but so that we can apply it to our lives. Remember, the scripture has one meaning. It, it only means what the author intended it to mean when he wrote it. Now, how it applies, it can have countless applications. The purpose of the scripture is to understand the meaning, to grasp the meaning, right, Kristen? So that we can properly live it out and increasingly apply it to every aspect of our lives spiritually, right, Melanie? Physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally, we want to apply the scripture to our lives, all right? So when Paul says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me, he's saying his new man, the, the new spiritually alive man that lives in him, um, the, the new man or the new woman that has eternal life and spiritual life, your, your spirit does not, does not sin anymore, okay? But 
when you got saved, when you received Jesus Christ, your old man, your old woman, that old self was crucified with Jesus. That old spiritual self was killed with Jesus. You were given new life. You were given spiritual life. And so no longer, you know, is that old self dominated by the sinful nature. No longer are you dominated by sin. Now, again, I firmly believe that when we come to Jesus Christ, our sinful nature is rendered powerless. The power is taken from our sinful nature, but our sinful nature is not eradicated. That's why we still have this battle with sin. It's still there. The power has been taken from it, but the imprint of it is still there. And then we have these outside forces, right? The world, the flesh, the devil that are, that are pulling us to sin. Um, and then we have our, our spirit, our renewed spirit, right? Our regenerated spirit. We have spiritual life and we're one with the Holy Spirit pulling us toward Christ, right? So it's not our, our new person that's sinning. Okay, it's that actual sinful nature that's still alive and pulling us to sin. As it is, is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Okay, so Paul says here that again, there is still this nature in him. The power has been taken from it. The sinful nature utterly dominates it owns an unbeliever. An unbeliever is a slave to sin. Paul has made clear throughout the last chapter. Um, and, you know, he has no power or she has no power to do anything but sin. Again, when you've given your life to Christ, when you receive Jesus, you receive new life. You receive a new spiritual self, right? You come into eternal life. You're one with Jesus, one with the Holy Spirit. And now you actually have the power to resist sin, and to live an upright, holy, and Christ-like life. And in, and in this new man or new woman, you even recognize the sin in your life. You grieve it, and you repent over it. But Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. So again, your spirit is perfectly holy. The battleground is for your soul. Okay, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your, your new self, that new man, that new woman that's come into spiritual life, your spirit is pulling your soul, and the Holy Spirit is in cooperation with your spirit, pulling your soul, your mind, will, and your emotions toward it, toward Christ, right? Toward holy, righteous, upright, biblical living. But your, your old sinful nature and the world, the flesh, and the devil are pulling your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions toward them. So you see this cosmic battle, and the battle is for your soul. Wow. Does that make sense, Lauren? That's kind of deep, right? Thank you, Lord. All right. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature, Paul says. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And again, he's saying there are times. He's not saying his whole life. He's saying that, again, there, there are times that I desire to do good, but I actually don't do it. And he's, he's miffed by this. He's amazed by this. Verse 19, for what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So again, he's not talking about habitual unrepentant sin here. That's important to understand. He's seeing there are still times where in every situation he only wants to do what's right, 
and what's pleasing to Jesus and what's holy. And yet there are still times where he'll do evil and he grieves it. And that's how we ought to be. Okay. He's not talking about that. He just, you know, he just has a licensed, unrepentant, sinful lifestyle. He told us twice in chapter six, by no means is he to go on sinning. Right. But he's acknowledging that yet he still, he still has this capacity to sin. And look what he calls it. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. He calls sin evil, Nathan. Okay? Uh, again, we, we need to have a perspective about the sin in our life. And Father, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me of unrighteousness for not seeing or really taking the, the, the different sins or what I perceive as little sins, which there's no, no such thing. Um, not seeing that it is evil. The sin in our lives, whatever it is, okay? Being self-serving, being selfish, being myopic, um, you know, just, again, being impatient, um, you know, just, just wanting my own way all the time. Um, uh, it's evil. Sin is evil. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So he repeats himself, right, from verse 18. Um, um, verse 19. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it, right? Um Actually, verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do. So again, he has the desire to do right. His new man, his new spiritual self that's uh, that has eternal life. He's spiritually alive. That, that's driving him consistently to live for Christ. Now, if I do what I do not want to do. So he 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 will still do things that, that he does not want to do, right? He, he will do wrong things that he doesn't want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. He's not saying he's not accountable for it. He certainly is. Um, he, and he's not even saying he doesn't have the power to stop it. He's simply recognizing that there's this sin that still lives in him and, and, he, and he hasn't perfected it, right? He's looking forward to a day where, where no more will he have to battle back these temptations to sin. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And that's a struggle every one of us should recognize and one we ought to be growing to win those battles more and more and more. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's, it's just, it's right there, right, Lauren? Like, like the, 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 the temptation to do wrong is just consistently there, right? And this is when Paul says law at work, he's not talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about a principle here. So I find this law at work, this principle at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Verse 22, for, an I, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. This is a powerful scripture that shows Paul is talking about, you know, his present circumstance. An unbeliever, someone who doesn't have Christ living in them, doesn't delight in obeying Jesus and walking with Jesus. Even the majority of us as Christians don't delight obeying Jesus. But as true Christians that have spiritual life, there ought to be a desire that grows into a delight 
to obey the word of God. Do you have that rap, right? Becky, do we have that desire, that earnest desire for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In my new spiritual man, my new spiritual self, the new spiritual woman, right? That, that has life, that has spiritual life, eternal life. You ought to recognize a desire in you to, to obey Jesus, right? For in my inner being, I delight in God's law of 23, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and make, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So again, Paul sees this, this battle. There's another principle. The first principle is this desire and this delight to obey the word of God. But I see another law at work, another principle at work in the members of my body, his members, his eyes, his ears, his hands, right? Um, you know, he can see this pull to, you know, to look at things in a way that, that the Lord has called him not to, maybe to look with a judgmental attitude, right? The members of his body, the brain to use it in ways that are not of Jesus, maybe to listen to things he shouldn't be, be hearing, maybe to use his mouth, the members of his body, in a, in a way that's not biblical, in a way that's sinful, right? But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. So you ought to recognize this battle in you, right? And making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. 24, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Again, Paul is grieved. He's not identifying himself. He's simply saying when he, when he gives in to sin, he just, he grieves himself so much. What a wretched man I am. And again, this is someone who's serious about living holy, obviously. more All of us want to become more like Paul. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's ready to be in a place. He's ready to be at home with Jesus. And he knows only Jesus can recognize him, but he's also looking forward to a day where he'll be recognized, he'll be rescued, I'm sorry, from this current body of death. Where, where, where sin consistently, you know, is tempting him and he's, he's in this war, right? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's only in Jesus that we can be saved from our sin. It's only in Jesus that we'll be removed from this body when we die. And it's only in Jesus that we can be made perfect and righteous. And when we leave this life, the temptations of sin will be gone. While we're in this body, we still have to, to fight this battle to live more holy and Christ-like, Christ-like and upright lives. But the solution is only in Jesus that can rescue him. The law can't rescue him. His own obedience can't rescue him. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. Again, only a believer can, can say he's a slave to obey Jesus but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Wow. Wow. Father, we thank you for your mercy and goodness and favor and love in our lives. Father, we thank you, Lord, just for your providence and your sovereignty. Father, we love you and bless you. We ask you to help us, Father, to continue to fight this fight, Lord, to, to live our lives in a more holy and upright way. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts, to convict us of the sin in our lives. Help us to, to, to not be identified by our sin, but to grow and mature that we might live a more Christ-centered life. Jesus, help us to live more like you in every aspect of our lives. In your name we pray, Jesus. 
Amen and amen.